What is the church? Why does it exist? Can a group of Jesus followers really change the world? Can they do that? Can we do that? Well, to start with, I thought it'd be really helpful if we just took a, a look or, uh, and had a glimpse at a, a survey looking at how the rest of the world saw the church. So in two, at the start of this year, 2022, the Evangelical Alliance did a survey with 4,000 UK uh, adults. And one of the questions of that survey was, what do you think about the church? What people thought about the church? Here are the results of all the non-Christians in that survey. It's a little bit small. Sorry if you can't see it. But the top two results are negative. So the top two results are narrow-minded and hypocritical, followed closely, number three, by friendly. So at least that's a little bit positive. But it's quite jarring, I think, some of these results. Um, and it's a real shame. But the reality is, tragically, the church has been involved in some bad things over the years and has got it wrong quite often. But also, it has often changed the world for good. And so actually, probably a helpful way of looking at this is with this phrase, judge the church by the Savior and not by the sinners. Because as human beings, we will all mess up at different points, and we all have a tendency to distract from God's mission or his calling upon our lives. We just do. And yet, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is good, and relationship with him and following in his ways helps us to respond with love and make better choices in our lives. Now, with that in mind, how can we then be the people of the church that can change everything for good? Well, there are loads of Bible passages about the church. Uh, you have ones that talk about the church being the bride of Christ, ornate and devoted to Jesus as he makes the ultimate sacrifice and act of love for us. You have ones talking about the church being a family, no longer strangers, but now sisters and brothers together. You have uh, passages talking about the church as a body, how all of us play our part and we all are vital to the function of the church, like a body part, like a body part on the body. And you also have the church being referred to kind of as a hospital, looking at some holistic well-being, as we saw a little bit in, in Mark's kind of story earlier as well through RMA, Riverside Money Advice. Jesus himself said these words, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So our mission is to serve the broken and save the lost. Both of these are important, and Judy's going to be speaking a little bit more about mission and discipleship in a few weeks' time. But for now, let's turn to our Bible reading for the day. Uh, it is Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can turn to that. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke 24, 46 to 49. This passage is basically Luke's version of the Great Commission, which we see in the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, it's also a really helpful setup for part two, which is the book of Acts. So Luke wrote both of those books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke-Acts, they go together. And if you turn to the first chapter of the book of Acts, it helpfully kind of lays out like a previously on the story of Jesus. It's very much then goes a recap of, of what just happened in the book of Luke. So you can read those two back to back. Uh, but let me read now from this passage, Luke 24, 46 to 49. It says these words. This is Jesus talking. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus here is explaining some of the key aspects of the Christian faith in his own death and resurrection and atonement for people, as well as the expectation that this message, this story, will be shared for the whole world and preached continuously. And finally, that he is sending the Holy Spirit, which will be the key for unity and power and authority in people for spreading the work of God in our churches and in our communities. And so far in this series, we have looked at Jesus, we've looked at the Holy Spirit, and and right now I just want us to look at the early church that was set up through the Holy Spirit, which facilitated the incredible life-giving practical work of God in communities, as well as pointing people to salvation in Jesus. Both of those important. The Greek word that was used in the New Testament for church is the word ekklesia. Now, this word is used 23 times in the book of Acts and altogether 111 times in the New Testament. And this word, ekklesia, it translates to this a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. And that aspect of being called out of our homes into, public, into the public sphere is helpful for us because it reminds us this, that the church is open and outward, okay? The church is not a members-only club. It is for followers of Jesus called out of their homes into the real world where life is happening, where there's work, there's school, etc., into a place where others can see and witness the Holy Spirit at work, transforming lives, bringing glimpses of heaven to earth. And then those who see these workings can then join in themselves because everybody is welcome. Alan Scott asks the question in his book, Scattered Servants, how do we move beyond brilliant services to changed communities? And he unpacks how the church in Acts had been growing and growing in number, and they reached a pivotal moment where they had to decide whether or not to include Gentiles in the church because of some differences in cultural practices. Gentiles, uh, in case you didn't know, Gentiles refers to anyone who's not Jewish. Now, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection was for everyone. So in chapter 15 in the book of Acts, they came to this conclusion. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. There and then, they made a commitment as the church to be hospitable and generous and open and outward-facing and inclusive. And as Riverside Church, we want to do the same, to not make it difficult for people turning to God, to remove any barriers that might be put up in the way. In fact, this Tuesday, the whole staff team of Riverside Church, we're taking part in diversity training. And this is going to help us to create a safe and loving space where we can signpost all people to Jesus. It's to check our own unconscious and conscious biases and to make sure that we are better equipped to be anti-racist. We want to celebrate the diversity of this church family, people from all sorts of backgrounds, because this is a glimpse of God's kingdom. And we are going to do our best to make sure that we have not made it difficult for anyone turning to God. But as you know, this is going to require work from all of us, as well as kind of a proactive stepping out and going into public life, being present in the world, in in whatever context we have the opportunity to be in. 
At no stage can we think, ah, we've made it, or accept that things are kind of comfortable or easy. Because as a church, we have been called to multiply and grow and help more and more people get to know Jesus. So let's stay open and let's stay outward as well. Now, you might be hearing this and you might be thinking, yeah, I'm on board with this. I think I can actually do this more efficiently on my own without the church holding me back. Well, if that's what you're thinking, then I'm afraid you'd be making a really big mistake. Because the second greatest commandment which Jesus shared with us is to love people, to love your neighbor. And what's a really great way to fulfill that commandment? Show up. Love people. Yeah, people can be difficult and relationships are hard, but you will be so blessed by getting stuck into a community that is unified in Christ. Not to mention how much you'll be a blessing for others just by being here. Paul encourages us in, in the book of Hebrews, and let us, let us consider how to stir one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amazing. Now, if you are joining us online and you haven't been here in person in a while, we miss you. Now, of course, we know that there are certain circumstances which make it impossible for you to get here. We absolutely understand, and, and, and we're just so pleased that you can join us and participate online. But if you can come here in person, then please, please do. It might feel easier to just stay at home and, and watch church in your pants, I know. <laughs> but there is so much that you are missing out on, not just for yourself, but also for the wider church. Our second service here at, at Half Eleven, it, it has loads of space, and we would love to see you there. Can I, can I actually share, share something that annoys me sometimes a little bit? Um, <laughs> it's when people misquote Matthew 18, verse 20. Okay, and I've heard people say or write this. They, they write, where two or three are gathered, that is church. <laughs> no. That is not what the verse says. The, the verse actually says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. Which is great, because God is a present God. But what annoys me about the, this misquoting is that people use it as an opportunity to avoid people that are different to them. And they choose to just kind of hang out with their really close friends or people who are very similar to them. And this is hugely problematic, because this basically goes against, it's the opposite of what's, what the church stands for. Not only is, is the eclectic mix of people that are gathered here a blessing for all of us in this church family, but actually this demonstrates something to everyone else, to the rest of the world. It demonstrates something phenomenal. Because there can be unity with people whom society says are rivals or can't get along. Whether it's being on opposite ends of the political spectrum, whether it's kind of having differences uh, of all sorts of opinions, of difference in class, difference in ethnicity, in age, in traditions, whatever it is, the list goes on and on. The church is gathering with people that you wouldn't normally gather with. No other circumstance in life would bring this group of people together for one united purpose. But we have this unity because of Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, thanks to that unity, we are a stronger body of people who can carry out the mission that we have been called to, sharing the good news of Jesus with others and being witnesses for this gospel. This is from 1 Corinthians 12. 
It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So what does it mean to be part of the local church then? Is it just about meeting once a week and maybe going along to your group once a week, midweek or something? Why does, why does someone preach? Why do we have that? Why do we sing songs together? Well, again, Paul has these words in Colossians. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So clearly there is value in gathering together because we can further our understanding of who God is, deepen our relationship with him so that we can stand with one another in prayer, so that we can praise God despite our own circumstances, which by the way is super attractive to other people. When when we're giving it our all, when we're really worshiping God, people are drawn in by that. It's attractive. But we also need to remember that it doesn't just finish there. We gather together so that we can be sent into the world, into our communities. We gather to go. And this is where it's all down to you, to all of us. Because if you consider yourself a Christian today or a follower of Jesus, yes, you are part of the global church and all its kind of various denominations united with Christians all across the world, uh, different traditions, different expressions, brilliant. But the way that you can best live out your Christian faith is in and through the local church through showing up to your life group or community group, through serving in whatever ministry you are called to and playing your part, through giving financially to to the church as an act of saying, this is my family. This is something that I am invested in. Through continuing to gather together, praising God, learning to love others, learning to forgive others, learning to put the needs of others first. We can do that when we're around other people. And as we do this, all of these aspects aid and enable us to then go into our communities and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods to bring the hope and love of Jesus. And there are so many ways that you can get involved. What's the next step for you? Earlier, we we looked at how the rest of the world saw the church. Uh, Well, in that same survey, let's look at how people saw the Christian friends that they had in their own lives. Wow, big difference. Much, much, much more positive with the top words being friendly, caring, uh, good humor, generous, hopeful, and things like that. These are down to the individual relationships made through investment and love. And that's what we all can do. Show people the love of Jesus because the church is not an organization. It's not a building. The church is you, You are the church, and we need you. You have your part to play, so let's get on board and change the world one person at a time in whatever spheres we find ourselves through the prompting and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's gather and then go. We need you. You have your part to play. As I draw to a close, I'm going to read uh, this quote, which is from the theologian N.T. Wright, and it's his definition of church, which I found really helpful. He says this, The church is the single, multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. 
It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's Spirit, and it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. Brilliant. So what is our takeaway from this then? Well, the church isn't this distant concept, okay? You are the church. You are part of this family, and you make up a really important part of the body of the church. Let us stay open and outward-facing. Let us make an active commitment to being people who can serve the broken and save the lost. We are stronger when we're together, so we can gather and then go. When with the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, which has been given to every single one of us as followers of Jesus, we can truly change the world. So let's do it.